through play, it's like whatever you're doing, you're learning tenfold. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's innate, you know. You know, it's we're, we all do that. We all, if we're enjoying something, we're it, it we're gonna learn from it. And when I say we're learning when we're playing, I'm not. You, know, you can throw in the cognitive stuff. You can do math and, and language arts and science, and you can do all that stuff. And you, you know, you doing learning through play is always going to be beneficial. What I'm talking about when I say learning is getting kids to use their bodies more. And that's when I start looking in more of the motor skills. Like mm-hmm. we were kind of talking about the sensory input before. But if I get if I want a kid to improve his motor skills, we can do exercises and say, okay, take your right hand and bring it to your left side of your body. Right? That's going to do a lot. But that's boring. Like that's. <laughs> but there's a million bajillion ways you can do that through play, right? You can throw a ball, you can re- you can wrestle, you can climb things. Where I'm cross, it's going to make me cross my midline, and that's when I say I'm intentional. Those are the things I'm really being aware of. Is is you know. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to the E3 Collective Podcast. Today we have Matt Sloan joining us on the show. Matt is a certified occupational therapy assistant, personal trainer, former special education teacher, coach, and owner of Sensory Fitness LLC. Sensory Fitness was created to provide fitness for everybody while focusing on neurodiversity. Taking sensory difficulties into account, uh, Sensory Fitness focuses on specific movements and activities help with symptoms of uh, autism spectrum disorder, SPD, which is sensory processing disorder, ADHD, and other neurodiversities. As many listeners know, this is a topic that is very important to me. We have so much research about the lifelong benefits of physical activity and play, and it's one of my missions in life to provide access to these physical activity and play opportunities, which is why I am so excited to have Matt on the show. So Matt, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, that was, Mike, thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to be here after hearing what you just, all the cool stuff you told me. Yeah, so, you know, we like to kind of lead off these conversations with, you know, just tell, tell us about your background uh, growing up and what are some of the key moments that might have led you into education and specifically special uh, education? So where to start? I mean, what I guess about sensory fitness, I mean, what, what do I do professionally? I, I'm an Professionally, I'm an occupational therapy assistant, um, and and a personal trainer, uh, and and I kind of specialize in in sensory integration therapy. It's a specific type of therapy, um, and I also I was a special ed teacher for roughly 13 years. So I kind of put all that together and created this thing called sensory fitness, which started off as doing um, just it was fitness for I was just doing personal training. And then I got into working with kids, my, the population I was working with anyway as a teacher and as a coda. And so I started doing personal training for kids with, with any kind of kid that was struggling in some way. Generally, they were on the autism spectrum or, or they had any kid with a sensory difficulty was generally the kids coming to me. Um, and that's where I began. I started doing one-on-ones and then I did some of the classes. And then it kind of turned into some, started teaching and, and getting into workshops and kind of snowballed it was kind of going in different directions but I was doing a couple of different things and then COVID hit and everything hit the bricks so but yeah that's 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 kind of what that's my background um how did I get into this I mean man I guess you know a big part of 
this whole thing, like, as a kid, me as myself, I struggled through school. School sucked. I, I hated it. I wasn't very good at it. Um, I was diagnosed with ADD, and this is back in the 80s when, uh, you know, it wasn't that much known. And I, if it wasn't for my high school teachers, I had some, I was in, I didn't know I was in special ed. Nobody told me I had ADD. I was just in, like, the special classes and, you know, a couple of us kids that we, you know, we didn't really behave that well, but if it wasn't for a few of my teachers, I, I probably wouldn't have graduated high school as well as, and I discovered this pretty early. My, my mom made me do a, a whole bunch of sports and I never wanted to do them. I was kind of like, kind of like, when you think of ADD, you, you think of like the ADHD, you think of that hyperactive piece. And that's, that's Miss Milner. That's, that's very common to think of. I was kind of that low affect kid. I was kind of just kind of low energy, a lot going on in my head. I just didn't show it. But, so my mom made me do all these sports. I hated them, but I did them anyway. And I was on the wrestling team, and I, I never wanted to wrestle, but I, I went every year. I, since I was six, I just kept doing it, kept doing it. It wasn't until high school where I, I really kind of got into it. And that's when I noticed the change in school is when I when – I, sometimes we'd have, like, for instance, uh, practices in the morning. And I, I noticed a significant difference throughout my day. I could think clearer. You know, I, I didn't have that brain fog. I, didn't, I, I felt more organized. I felt better. And I did better in school. And you know, if it wasn't for my special ed teachers and my and my uh, and wrestling and, and and sports and stuff like that, I probably wouldn't have made this connection and fell in love with with movement and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I had a, that's that's kind of where it, the beginning of it, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, when you were you know when you're making that transition out of high school did you know that you wanted to get into education or is it kind of a slow burn um, into that passion or you know what what led you to that point no I'm, I'm from new jersey i live right outside new york city i wanted to be an artist and write and draw comic books i wanted to work for marvel i was going to do that so i went to school in pennsylvania for art um and i didn't wasn't any good and I went to a, one for I had to one of the classes was a volunteer class and it was called swimming gym and it was it was kids uh, developmental class kids with developmental disabilities and you just go to your volunteer you play in the gym and then you, you in the, for the first hour and the second hour you just swim in the in, in the pool um, and I did that and I was like this is this is cool I like this and that's kind of I that's when I started thinking about maybe I'll switch my my major and I got into special ed. And then think going back into my school experience, like maybe I do want to do this. This is, seems like something up my alley, because I like kids. I like I like special ed. Um, and so I went to school to become a special ed teacher. Did that. Um, my first job, you know, I've never really worked at a uh, general school. I've always worked at some pretty unique schools. Uh, most of them were uh, residential treatment centers. The first one, my job I had was in Wyoming as a teacher. And Wyoming, of all places, coming out of Jersey, going to Wyoming, and working with some of the kids that had the, the, the worst end of the stick, you know, there's comorbidities, tough, tough life, trauma, um, lots of different diagnoses, and it's a residential treatment center. And it, it was structured as all behavior-based. That's kind of was, was the model. Um, but these guys didn't, they didn't, it wasn't all, I noticed this pretty, pretty fast, and it wasn't a lot of movement. They didn't get a lot of exercise. It was kind of a... Um, they kind of got it. Breakfast wasn't that great, and then they went right to school, and then there was lots and lots of behaviors, extreme behaviors, you know, violence, uh, running away, that kind of stuff. Um, and 
you know, I, I did that for a year, and then I got another job as a teacher at a school that was very similar. It was a wilderness school there. It was, uh, and I was a teacher there. It was in this same kind of deal, same, same structured environment, same kind of um, behavior. You have to do A plus B equals C. You have to do this to get this kind of behavior style, uh, token economy kind of thing. And But this school was a wilderness school, and they moved all the time. They would get up to chores. Before they came to school, we did this thing called focus, where we did some exercises, and they would come to class. And being in Wyoming, I mean, there was, it was, um, either it was, you had this much sunlight, you know, maybe two months out of the year, and that was spent outside. Just two every day, PE was like an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours, and then they they would cook sometimes. Um, but then in the winter it was skiing, and that they. That was PE every single day, telemark skiing for an hour and a half. And that's when I noticed that was easy to see, like the differences in behaviors. Like, okay, it's similar population of kiddos, same kind of structure, but the, the, the input, the, the physical output is so much different. And that was, um, that was an eye-opener. So I continue to work and – sorry, <laughs> I'll just keep talking. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I continue to work. You know, I, I – Took a break from teaching. And I went to Japan for a while, but then I, I came back and lived in San Diego, inner city school. Another um, it was another residential treatment center, same kind of thing. Um, again, not a lot of physical output, but I, I had the opportunity after a year there. I had the opportunity to become a PE teacher, and because I had my coaching background, I coached a lot of sports. I had personal training, did personal training on the side, so they asked me to do it. I got kind of a, a type of a certification. And that's when I started working. I kind of I met a coder there. And I'm like, what's a coder? What's this person do? What's this video? And he was talking about bilateral coordination and partial stability. I'm like, what is this? This is cool. So we started to do a lot of stuff in PE. And, and that was, that was I really got into being a PE teacher. And I loved it. Um, fast forward a couple more years. I'm, I'm now here in Washington, Tacoma. Excuse me, university place. And I worked at another school. Uh, same kind of deal. This was... <clears throat> This one was a, um, it wasn't residential, but it was an alternative high school. Kids having difficulty getting kicked out of behavior programs, getting kicked out of classes, sent to behavior programs, and then get kicked out of those programs. They come to us. And that's where I saw, like, I, these kids, they, they weren't living there, so they, I had to get them to come to class. So sometimes I have to go drive and, or, um, sorry, I have to create classes so they would come because I wanted them to be there. So I, that, was a, that was a key moment, too, is like seeing motive, how well motivation was. Like, okay, I, being a special ed teacher, I'm not training content. So I'm learning this along with you, but I'll teach you what I know, and I'll get kids to do boxing. We did a cooking class. We did um, you know, a lot of movement-based stuff. We, would, I, we created an auto shop. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was just trying to get kids. To, and they would, I was able to get kids to, a little bit more to come to class and, and enjoy being there. That was a, that was another aha moment. Moment was that was that motivation piece. If I can get a kid motiv to be motivated and, and like what they're doing, they're going to be able to do more of it. And if it's physical and there's, we can build on top of that, especially kids, especially kids struggling with sensory difficulties. And that's that's all of us. Like yeah, autism and sensory processing disorder and, and ADHD in there, but kids with trauma. Or even us on our when we're not having good days, if we haven't slept or we got didn't have uh, the best breakfast or whatever, or having a fight with our with somebody, or our sensory systems are are not jiving the way they should, and that can make learning and doing other things difficult. 
anyway sorry what was the question <laughs> yeah no no that no that was a, that was a great answer and so you know when you you know so you have made the transition from teaching to a certified occupational therapy assistant what was that kind of transition like or what was what what really prompted you to make that transition and then how and when did you start sensory fitness yeah that was an interesting shift because i mean i i just got burned out on special ed. just i mean you also probably know the ieps were, were just killing me i'm not an organized guy uh, i love teaching kids i loved it i mean it was it was great when a kid gets it that's it that's the whole that's the greatest thing in the world but the paperwork was just and it was and being in the, working with, with a, the tough population after a while, I was just reaching my blame, my, my ending point. I said, I think I'm going to kind of switch it up. Um, working with Dakota, who I met in San Diego, that gave me the idea, maybe I want to go try this. So I went to school here, tech school here, and I got my degree. And, I, and my first job was at a pediatric clinic. And they, they, you know, it's pediatrics, they work with kids, but they specialize in sensory integration therapy. This is uh, uh, Harbor Children's Therapy here in Creek Harbor. And, you know, every OTs, they're the ones that know about sensory and they're the ones that have worked with kids on a sensory um, level working in that area. But not every clinic does sensory integration therapy. They are like purists. Like this was developed by Gene Ayers in the 70s. This is a specific style. It's all about reading, understanding a kid's sensory systems, what, what they're seeking, what they're avoiding, and then trying to you know, seeing which sensory system is off. Maybe it's tactile, maybe it's maybe it's uh, vestibular, maybe it's auditory. And doing your best to integrate that through swinging and, and tactile, but then all through play, and it's all motivation. Anyway, I, I, I found it, what is this magic? This is fantastic. And it instantly, it was like, a, it was like overnight, boom. I, it was between that and like doing personal training on the side, I started to take everything I was doing in therapy and bring it on the fitness classes. And then vice versa, bringing the stuff I was doing in fitness and bringing that to the clinic. I was like, this is awesome. So probably why I switched, I branched out on my own was one of the things I struggled with the most in the clinic was, you know, I'm doing all this stuff with a kiddo. Like, so I'm putting a kid on a swing and the parents like, why, what is, what are you doing? Like, what, you're not teaching my kid how to handwrite or tie shoes. And I'm trying to explain my, to my best in the two minutes I have in between sessions, why this is going to help your kid. And that frustrated me. It's like this stuff can be done at home. This stuff can be done in a lot of this stuff, not everything, because I think some of the equipment is, is different, like a suspended swing, not everybody has. But a lot of this stuff, PE teachers can do, fitness professionals can do. You can do this at home. You can incorporate some of this into the classroom. And, you know, having some of my, my school connections still, and my wife being a principal of an elementary school, I kind of was still in that, I had my foot in the water a little bit. So I started to call and, and um, uh, call around and say, hey, you know, would, any, would you like a training? <laughs> I just kind of started looking around and I started doing kids one-on-one -on, -one on the side because I was, those, that was kind of the kids that just started coming to me anyway, kids with difficulties. Um, and then I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. This is great. So yeah, it was, that's how it, that's how it was born, I guess. Sorry, Brent. I, launched into a whole yeah no no and that's great because one of the things that i really love that you talked about was just the importance of understanding on a deeper level that human beings are just holistic there's there there's so many moving pieces there's so many different layers and 
we can't always just look at what typically is just the symptom. We need to really go upstream and try to find what's what's really going on. And you know, some of the of the, the newsletters that we send out through E3, you know, we we do uh, we, we talk about swinging a lot. Uh, we talk about the vestibular system a lot, and um, you know, and so just and just and really, the more we can work with those sensory systems and help develop those, there's so many um, downstream benefits that we get. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really interesting the feedback we get from parents um, when they read the newsletter, but it's just really great hearing you say that. And, you know, with our, you know, specifically with our uh, swim lesson program, um, which is the Panther Academy for Water Safety, you know, we really try to integrate a lot of those pieces in because we, we can't just look at learn to swim as, okay, this is how you move your arms, this is how you move your legs. There's so many different pieces. It could be, you know, uh, a, a tactile um, avoidance or seeking out um, in relation to water. It could be the temperature of the water. It could be auditory. It could be, you know, we use, we use a lot of visual, um, you know, input because there's a lot of great pieces about gaze stabilization and object tracking, all this stuff for development. But then, you know, we also build in a lot of different strategies for proprioception and, you know, the vestibular system and the water is provide such a great environment, but, you know, we have to take that holistic approach beyond just, this is how you pull, this is how you kick, this is how you put your face in the water, because there's so many different pieces that can help a child be successful in that environment that I, I just want to, you know, keep expanding this to all these different areas. So it's just awesome to hear you talk about you know, doing that in a, in a fitness, um, you know, setting. I, I mean, I love that you just said that. I feel like just knowing that alone, whether or not you know what to do with that information, just knowing that, um, knowing that this, that kids might be having, might be struggling with something sensory wise is going to affect their motor skills. It's going to affect their behavior. It's going to affect everything that we, anybody working with kids, we're going to deal with. Um, so just being aware that, you know, maybe a kid is is offset by the noise in the in the pool, or they don't like the the, the cold temperature of the water, or the wetness of their their shorts on their legs when they get out, that kind of stuff. Just being aware of that is going to change how you work with that kid, because if I'm not aware of that, sometimes it gets into deciding: is the kid making a choice, or is this something the kid can't? Is this so? Is this something the kid can do or can't do? And that's I talk about that a lot with my parents, like <laughs> um, even with my own kids, I, you know, I still forget. But not being able to accomplish something, not because I don't want to do it, just because I can't do it. And that was a big shift for me as a special ed teacher, especially being trained in behavior, behavior management, right? That's, that's what special ed, when I was trained in the 90s, that was a big part of it. And so you deal with that through behavior strategies. You, you know, in, or, in order for you to get this, you must do this. Well, a lot of times they couldn't do this. You know, it, it, it's almost like asking somebody in a wheelchair to walk up the steps. Okay, I'm not going to ask the guy in the wheelchair to walk up the steps because I can see there's something going on there. So I'm going to modify, I'm going to accommodate. But whatever I do, I'm not going to get upset that he's not walking up. But our kids, we get, it becomes emotionally weak. How many times have you heard, maybe as a teacher, um, and I've said it myself, oh, she chose not to, to do this. And it's, that may be the case. Their kids are going to be defiant. We're all people. We all make choices. But at the same time, like it's, it's a mindset. If I'm, if I'm thinking 
that a kid has made a choice, that that situation is kind of going to go a different route as opposed to, okay, it's either a skill deficit or it's a, it's a, it's a physiological issue. And I'm gonna I'm gonna either teach the skill or I'm gonna try to meet this kid where he where he is and go from there. Yeah, and I absolutely love that because I think when we frame it like that, that's when we can really provide access. Um, and we've had this conversation with multiple people on on the podcast before, um, but I think we're starting to really realize that you know inclusion's not just a setting. In, inclusion is is providing the structures and supports and um, you know skill acquisition or whatever the case is to really help that child be successful within whatever setting they're in. Um, and so I I think you know that's such a, a powerful piece is you know you talking about you know I need to either help teach the skill or I need to meet them you know where they are from a you know emotional standpoint or physiological standpoint and really meet those needs and not and it's not just well I'm going to place them in the pool or I'm going to place them in the gym or I'm going to place them in the classroom um, it's really how do we provide what they need to be successful within whatever setting they're in and it's being aware of of how a kid processes sensor information and of the environment around them is, is not only going to help the kid, but it's also going to help you. It's going to, it's, if I'm a teacher, I'm going to understand. I have a whole class of kids to manage. If I know each one's individual needs more, the better off we are. And I can do my best to meet those needs, whether or not I can or can't, but I'm now aware of, of why right, Johnny is, is banging his hands constantly on the, on the desk, or even as a coach of like, maybe why they're not getting in the, in the pool. And, you know, just throwing your hands up in the air. If, you, if you're aware of this, how the sensory systems work and how kids, how we all process that information, it, you can then opens up a, diff, a lot of different barriers. And, you know, as a parent as well, like, why, why, isn't, why does my kid keep getting up and, up and down out of the, off the table when we're trying to eat? And what do we do? We, we scream at him, sit down, blah, 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 eat your broccoli. I, I, I know all this stuff. I still do it to my own kids. It's hard, to, it's hard not to. It is, it is. We just lived through that tonight. <laughs> it's like all your strategies go right out the window as a parent. But at the same time, they still work because I, I do do things a little differently now. But still yeah, fun. no, I know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one thing, too, as I go farther down this path, I just I have become a better parent for sure. I mean, I have all the young kids right now, so I'm kind of getting a first uh, first row seat to child development and um, so I have uh, twin, well, I have two sets of twins. I have twin boys who are three and then twin girls who are uh, nine months old. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, uh, it's busy, but I'm, I'm getting a front row seat to a lot of this. Um, and it's been really interesting, um, you know, because even, you know, before I had the boys, um, you know, leading up to that, just kind of the path I was on, I certainly knew more and was better than I would have been without this information. But now, you know, two and a half years later, once we had the girls, you know, I feel like learning even more, I even, I'm even more equipped to meet their needs and, and, and meet the boys' needs. So, I mean, you know, everyone needs this, including adults. And, but, you know, like you said, it's it, just knowing this puts you in a, puts you in a different space mentally and 
have a framework to which to work from in order to meet the needs of whether it's your own children or whether it's students or you know athletes or whatever the case is so yeah you know you know um just maybe think of something like being being a what's i guess it's helped me as a parent the most especially during this time in in, in the world with covid going on we're all schools are shut down <clears throat> being aware of sensory input and 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 knowing that my kids have to move and not only do they have to move but i want to be intentional about what they do physically that has really helped out during this time because a lot of times like if i wasn't aware of that kids need a um, specific type of sense oh knowing my own kids sensory needs as well as the type of input that helps them the best i probably would like just leave them to their own devices and maybe just you know send them outside where one of them would just i might have two boys one of them would be climbing the trees like throwing rocks at cars, the other one would be just completely engrossed in a book and hiding somewhere else. They're just two totally opposite. So I have to do my best to kind of bring one up to get him more active and then the other one to kind of calm him down when he comes back inside. That is, this is, my career has probably saved my life during this time because otherwise I would have been pulling my hair out. I still am pulling my hair out, but I'm less, less, less hairs. Yeah, and I think too, you know, when we, this is, you know, this is obviously a very challenging time for a lot of people, a lot of parents. It's been challenging for us too. But um, I think it's also been a great time to hit the reset button. And, you know, so my, obviously I worked in, in the school system. My wife is currently a school counselor. And, you know, we really talked about, you know, especially last spring when everything first started, just how many more kids we saw outside, you know, biking and just going for walks and obviously you know around here you know parks shut down for a while but you know just it was and then you saw families families enjoying physical activity together and then like you said if we can be intentional about that you know that, that's even better and so you know if, if you're talking with parents you know because one of the things we like to do is whether it's podcasts or whether it's our you know instagram or whatever the case is Really simple, digestible, easy to implement, low cost ideas. So if you're talking with a parent and maybe the budget's low or it's zero and they don't have a lot of time and, you know, all these different excuses and I've used them before too, so I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. <laughs> um, but if, if, if you're talking with a parent, you know, what are some of the things that you really feel like these are, these you can easily implement low cost or no cost and they're, they are just good. So this is where I tend to go off the rails because when I talk about what to do with all kids, I go way too deep in it. But so, I mean, first off, it's every kid is completely different. So what works for one kid isn't necessarily going to work for another kid. What works for your kid today might not work for your kid tomorrow. Just how we work, right? So some days we feel great. Some days we feel like that. Um, but that being said, some, you know, what I make sure my kids, so I'm, I'm thinking my own kids, what I would want them to get throughout the day, I'm, I would look, make sure they get the tactile play, meaning ta like skin contact with stuff, right? So maybe if a lot of our kids are on the, on the computer a lot during the day or they're inside or whatever, and then they go outside, maybe they walk, take a walk and they come back. I want to make sure that there's as much skin contact with stuff as, as much as I possibly can with different kinds of textures. Everything from like, you know, washing your hands to like rolling around in the sand with just your shorts on or whatever. 
skin tactile input is is really is really important and it helps us regulate it helps us get in tune with our body and it helps us feel better we all kind of scratch our skin sometimes during the day everyone likes the back scratch that's tactile input that's light touch also tactile input's also deep pressure so like getting getting weight on me being pressed um you know we're talking about if we're talking about little kids this would be really important Older kids, you know, maybe maybe a little bit less, but I'd still make sure they try to get it. Um, so, crawling under stuff, getting under pillows, and, and or maybe having some weights on me, or having, getting some compression, just making sure they're getting some tactile input somehow throughout the day. And that could be like jumping and crashing, you know, jumping off the bed or jumping off the couch and landing on the bed or crashing. That's tactile input. Boom, I'm getting outside in. I'd look for that. I would look for vestibular input, so movement of my head. Specifically, my head, which is also balanced, because that that helps with regulation. The vestibular system is like the big dog in, in the uh, in the yard. Everything goes through that thing. So if I can get my kid on a swing, hey, dynamite, that's fantastic. Um, if if I can get them doing rolls down a hill or across the floor, somersaults, backward salts, whatever those are called, log rolls, you know, rocking something, uh, even just dancing, boogieing down and, and rocking out, getting in my head. Headbanging, you know, something where I get to have to move my head and make sure that gets throughout the day, and then making sure they're active. Pro, that would be like the pro part. So using my muscles, picking up weight, and that's that's really important for not only physical health, but it's also helping my organize my brain. Kind of what I was talking about before. Why, 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 why do you feel good after you go to the gym? It feels good to get your heart rate up and get your blood pumping and all that. But moving weight. When I, when I engage my muscles for an extended period of time, it releases all these good stuff in my head, and I feel organized, and it feels good. So, you know, weight, doing that stuff with kids, if you want to work out and your kid likes that, awesome, do that. Uh, make sure they can make, do obstacle courses. Those are great things to do. Have kids jump over couches and crawl under chairs and slide down the banister and climb a tree. Something where I'm actively moving. And if it's not all the kids like outside, so try to make it fun inside somehow. Looking for those three things, types of input, kind of reduce the visual, you know, take away the screen as much as you can, as you can, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm a big uh, advocate for play. That is like that's that's like one of my big things is 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 play, and because it's really one of the you know primary learning pathways, especially for younger children. But really, play is good for adults too. If you really look at some of the happiest, healthiest adults, they, you know, they might be doing, you know, masters sports, um, you know, masters swimming or masters triathlons or whatever the case is. But, you know, it's also, um, and I mean, maybe I should be embarrassed I'm saying this, but I mean, my brother and I still wrestle. I mean, you know, he he's two years younger than me, and we're and we still wrestle. <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, we're we're constantly, you know, horsing around and you know, throwing a football and whatever else, but. Um, you know, why, you know, following you for a while now, obviously the intentional movements and intentional programming of certain things or, in, you know, incorporating sensory um, systems into what you're doing is obviously key. You do a lot of stuff with play, though. You make it fun. Why, why is play so important to you? Oh, well, when you learn through play, it's like, whatever you're doing, you're learning tenfold. It's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's innate, you know, you know, it's where we all do that. We all, if we're enjoying something, we're, it, it, we're going to learn from it. And when I say we're learning when we're playing, 
I'm not, you, know, you can throw in the cognitive stuff. You can do math and, and language arts and science, and you can do all that stuff. And you, you know, you doing learning through play is always going to be beneficial. What I'm talking about when I say learning is getting kids to use their bodies more. And that's when I start looking in more of the motor skills. Like mm -hmm. we were kind of talking about the sensory input before. But if I get, if I want a kid to improve his motor skills, we can do exercises and say, okay, take your right hand and bring it to your left side of your body. Right? That's going to do a lot, but that's boring. Like that's, <laughs> but there's a million bajillion ways you can do that through play, right? You can throw a ball, you can, you can wrestle, you can climb things where I'm cross. It's going to make me cross my midline. And that's when I say I'm intentional, those are the things I'm really being aware of is, is, you know, bilateral coordination, making sure I'm, I'm working on posture, I'm, I'm building motor skills and, you know, motor skills, meaning like doing novel movements, movement, I, movements I don't normally do. Those kinds of things, they, they were building body awareness, we're creating more neural pathways in the brain. That's learning. That's going to make us be able to, that's going to help us tie our shoes. That's going to help us concentrate better in class. That's going to help us do this, that, and the other thing. It's, it's instead of learning like a splinter skill, like I can teach a kid some fine motor activity like to, to write, but if, they, if their coordination is off, that's, that skill, that writing skill isn't going to translate into other things. If I'm building from the ground up, from the core out, and I'm strengthening my strength, the core of my body, and I'm, I'm strengthening the, sh the shoulder girdle, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to cross my midline and work on these bilateral integration and, and reciprocal movements, then I can translate all that information into other more complicated movements. So, mm -hmm. that, and you do that through play. I do that through climbing, and I do that through catching a ball or, 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 or doing an obstacle course where I have to plan my next movement and there's no specific movement to, to get from one to get from one couch to like you know across the lava onto the lampshade no not the lampshade but whatever you know you're 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 doing novel in new movements and that's like you or i going out to play i don't know curling <laughs> which i've done once you learn like you, it, it's your body you kind of awkward when you do it but then you have a whole new skill set of how to like and then you translate that Everything you do today is because of all the things you did yesterday, mm -hmm. all the rock climbing you did, all the, the block building you did as a kid. Like that, that stuff's super important, and we miss out on that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I would say one of the most, um, one of the simplest visuals I've ever seen, and I was introduced to it, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago, maybe three, but um, it was this developmental period pyramid. I cannot remember the first. It was like Shelley. Berg or oh, yeah, you, yeah, I'm sure that you, you know who I'm talking about. Right. They developed that period. They, uh, yep. they, what do you call a pyramid? And then the Schellenberger and yeah. 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 Schellenberger. Yeah. And it was one of the most transformational images I saw because we're at the base of this pyramid. It's, you know, the central nervous system and then the, the sensory systems. And they really show how the sensory systems are really the building blocks. Well, so the sensory systems and then motor skills are really the building blocks for everything else later on so cognitive skills and language acquisition and so i'll include that in the in the show notes but that was one of the most transformational vi visuals because I, I think if other people if everyone just saw it just just take a look because it will it will change your perspective on the importance of 
physical activity and fitness and motor skills in the sensory system. So I, I base most of what I do off that pyramid. I have a huge one in my basement. That's and it's a good visual for parents to see because it gives you an idea. And, and so at the, at the bottom, you're right. You have you have your tactile uh, vestibular proprioception at the very bottom, and then you have auditory visual next rung up, and then that's your sensory system and gustatorial. Gust right? But then the next one's motor skills, and then perception. So meaning like, right, all those things have to be in place before you even get to perception, right? To per perceive like the distance and, and language, understanding all of that. And then on top of that is, is behavior, higher academic thing is at the top. And the very tippy top of the pyramid is behavior, excuse me, is um, academic learning, right? So you have behavior, what is it? Behavior, uh, attention, and then academic learning. Yep. And what are we doing with kids? We're telling them how to behave. <laughs> And a lot of times our kiddos just need, they, if their sensory, if there's an issue with their auditory system or, or, their, or their vestibular system's out of whack, that means it just goes right up the chain and everything else I'm telling you isn't really going to, mm -hmm. you can tell me strategies. It, not to say it doesn't work, but it's, it's like building a house from the top down. It doesn't really jive. You can probably pull it off, but it'd be really difficult. I'd rather go from the bottom up, you know? Yep. And that's a lot of times it sounds like things you and I are doing is we're filling in the holes and we're filling mm -hmm. in. And normally the, I feel like why is this such an issue today is maybe because the way our society is set up and where we've come from due to technology and the way we have our roads, our infrastructure set up, there's less walking, there's less uh, communication, more, more screens and stuff like that. Um, everything from how we handle our babies you know having them in in car seats for longer or swaddling for uh there's all sorts of, of some things you can't help but and just being aware of that is, is helpful yeah no absolutely and so you know and i i saw that one of the programs that you have um or you know specifically trains that you have is for uh pe classes and i'm assuming teachers also um, so obviously without, you know, you giving away the whole, <laughs> the, the whole game here, but could you just kind of give us some key points for educators? We have quite a few educators who, who tune in. Um, so, you know, what would you encourage, uh, them to, you know, easy things to implement either in the classroom or a PE class or audit recess? Yeah. You know, I did, so yeah, what, the two things I focus on when I'm doing a training, especially for teachers is number one is kind of understanding the sensory system and then also kind of understanding talking making sure they get with an ot in their building or someone that can understand sensory maybe they can give if there's meaning like the kids with the, some of the red flag kids where they're having difficulties and nothing else seems to work get with the ot try to give them like a sensory profile or, or a, a, another sensory uh, assessment and see if, if 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 some questions can be answered sensory wise and then looking at the environment and what you can do to modify the environment and then some accommodations you can give that kid. And then, then you can kind of build a plan around that. And there you go. Then you start looking at the kid a little bit different and that helps because I just, we've all been there or we're pulling it. We've tried everything. We're pulling our hairs out and we're just like, oh, what the hell to do? So that, and then also implementing movement into, into the classroom a lot. Um, and any, it could be whatever works for you. There's, there's, dynamic seating, you know, active seating, there's movement breaks, there's incorporating movement into the lesson plans, structuring the day a little bit different, just being aware of how much those kids are getting 
movement they're getting from the time they wake up till the time they leave you because that can play a big difference in their behavior. So if kids are just getting up and they got to take this this bus ride, they sit, you know, they, they wake up, they sit on this bus for 20 minutes or half hour or whatever, and then they come to your class and they got to sit for another half an hour and then they got to go to another class and sit for lots of sitting. And is my kid coming unscrewed around 11 o'clock? Maybe they need to have some movement, stuff like that. So what was the question? What can I? Yeah, no, so no, that, yeah, that's great. It was just, you know, just really just, just things to keep in mind for teachers, you know, teachers, classroom teachers, um, you know, just simple things to implement. So, uh, you know, let's say we're, you know, you're in the middle of your, math block or reading block, you know, specifically more for, you know, elementary, you know, they have longer blocks, you know, anywhere from an hour, yeah. an hour and a half. That is just a long time for kids to be sitting and just doing academic skills. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes something simple, like just getting up and changing location, you know, just walk across the room is enough for some yeah. kids. That's not. So, you know, what are some other strategies that you think would be really beneficial? So number one, okay, so here is break that. So number one, it's, it's always nice to have things manual as much as you mm -hmm. can, depending on what you're teaching. Um, science class is easy because it's, you know, things I can do with my hands. Having manual things can help. Um, if I have a, you know, if I'm seeing, you know, kids get the wiggles and stuff like that, and I want to, I, I think of it this way. If I activate my vestibular system, if I get my head moving and, and I get the kids moving around, my, usually my alert level goes up for for better or for worse. So sometimes I want to do that to get the wake the kids up, but then I might have trouble reeling them back in. So maybe we get up, we do we do a go noodle, we dance around, woo, good times, we're moving, that's great. Then we're gonna sit back down, but some of my kids are still up there. So I always want to kind of end with some kind of proprioception activity. So something where I, I like heavy work. Heavy work is an easy phrase. So something where I have to move something heavy or stack chairs or do something physical and it doesn't have to be like crazy depending on the kid um but something like that or maybe or, or something that also another is something where i can takes my concentration that i like doing so like brain gym are awesome so where i have to cross my um you know take my right hand slap my left hand that do a couple of those things that require my attention that make it a bit more complicated coordinating activities Things like that that can help. One of the things that I love to use, and I it's tough anyway, but especially with COVID, is even tougher. But oral motor activities are usually a great way to go um, for so many reasons. But so oral motor, oral meaning mouth, motor meaning movement. So movement of my mouth, things like blowing up a balloon. That's a great oral motor activity, right? I'm working on getting a lot of uh, working on my core, I'm working on diaphragmatic breathing, I'm strengthening my eyes, I'm strengthening my mouth. There's lots of input going on there. The problem is I now have a balloon that's inflated, you know, it's, you know whatever. But you can, you can blow through a straw, into a jug of water, um, blowing whistles. The downside is that spit, right? And we live in a COVID world now, so that's, that can be, but you know, it doesn't have to be blowing or, or, or it could be drinking through a straw. Mm -hmm. So maybe if there's a snack, make sure the kids have a straw or maybe they have gum. Gum is great. These are huge. Our masseter muscles are huge. There's tons of mechanoreceptors in these big old muscles in our jaw. And if we get those going, that can be enough to help bring the energy levels a bit down. Mm -hmm. So things like that. So, you know, the vestibular system can oftentimes bring you alert. And then using our muscles and our concentration can help 
bring us back down, not to like a tired level, but more to like a focused level. Yeah, focused level. Yeah, one of the things I used to do a lot with my classroom, and then I actually we do some variations of it now with uh, collegiate athletes, but is um, rocking. You know, so we 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 know so inherently, you know, as as people have children, um, rocking is one of the best ways to calm a baby, and we for whatever reason we assume that well that's just something that you know is only good for babies and we just you know lose it as humans but it is such a great calming mechanism even for older children and you know with the collegiate athletes we obviously you know we're not rocking them they're not in a rocking chair but you know having some sort of variations you know we see you know and we've seen through research um obviously that people much smarter than me have done but you know rocking is a great way to help the central nervous system recover so we you know so and so even if you know if you're a coach listening you know doing different variations of rocking is a great recovery tool also so it's not just a calming tool for you know an upset child but it's also a great recovery tool it's a great recovery tool for adults you know maybe you had a really bad day at work or you're really tired or whatever the case is um you know just a great tools for everyone and it's we we we, we naturally gravitate towards these things anyway. Like rocking a baby is, is instinct. It's innate. It's, we do it anyway. When we're sad or we're stressed, sometimes we rock or we tap our foot. That's rocking and tapping. It's all rhythmic, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're trying to find a rhythm because that's calming. Sometimes arrhythmic stuff is, is not calming. It's kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. So we, we naturally do the things our bodies are seeking anyway. So kids that are not sitting down in class, they're moving because they have to move, not because they, you know, they might want to, but they, their body is trying to seek out what it needs so their brain can be organized. And we do it, you know, we do it too. What do we do when we, when we stress? We, we kind of purse our lips, right? That's, that's that sucking reflex. That's oral motor, right? You're, you put a straw in there, drink out or blow some bubbles. We're doing it anyway. Um, we, you know, we, we go in this kind of flex position. If we're sad, we kind of close our body. That's body posture. Our bodies are telling our we're telling the world through our posture of how we feel. And if we're excited, we, we extend out, right? And it can, it's funny because sometimes just putting ourselves in, in full flexion can calm us. And walk, you know, having those extensor muscles, like when I'm, my arms are out and my, my neck's up, that can put me in an excitable uh, state of arousal as well. And not, kind of, you know, not the sexual arousal, but just like alert level. Yep, yep, yep absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's where we just have to just keep keep becoming more in tune with our bodies and just us as human beings. I mean, I, I think the more we can get back to uh, honestly, a lot of the work that you're doing is, you know, just being very in tune with our innate human needs and abilities is such an important piece. And, and I, I just, I love the work that you're doing. Uh, I, I think you're doing fantastic works. And so where do you want to take sensory fitness next? what's what's you know obviously you know once we get through covid that's that's going to be the big factor but once we get through covid you know where where do you want to take this man i, w- I want my own gym that's what i've, I've going gunning for but uh you know <clears throat> i don't see that happening anytime soon you know i want to get back to work with kids one-on-one i miss that a lot and i work even my my small classes but i, I where i really see benefiting is is really educating i want to get you know being aware of sensory and and 
sensory processing and motor skills and, and these are things that I would do in a therapy session we can all do. Anybody and anybody working with a kiddo that is struggling, there's a lot of things you can do as a parent, you can do as a teacher, you can do as a coach, you can do as a fitness professional, you can do as a, you know, anybody working with kiddos, this, a lot of the stuff you can do. So I, I want to get back to um, educating and doing and, and I do offer workshops. I do um, they're virtual at the moment. I, I, I'm doing I, I'm doing those now, but um, I'm working on doing a certification for fitness professionals. Right now, it's just a workshop. I can't offer credits or anything like that, but um, just training other fitness professionals on how to work with kids maybe on the autism spectrum or kids that just don't have great motor skills and maybe don't, or there's no motivation there. They don't like sports. They don't like movement because it's hard, and it's hard for them to get motivated in doing that. Um, at the moment, I'm working with uh, another company called Lackey Kid. They're, they're a uh, sensory products company, and we do a um, – let me pull up my website. Hang on a second. We do a thing called the uh, – right now we're doing a thing called the five-day challenge, and you can check it out. It's at lackeykid.com forward slash challenge. You can check that out. Um, and if you order anything off their website, uh, they, they make a lot of fidgets. And bouncy balls and stuff like that, really cool stuff you can use in the classroom. Um, if you put in the code Sensory Fitness, you'll get a discount. Um, I also created a series of videos called uh, Sensory Solutions for Challenging Behaviors, and it's it's like forty videos of me of my stupid head talking to people about sensory. So some of you might fall asleep. I really get excited about it, but it's it's me explaining a lot of what I just went over, as well as showing some activities you can do at home and you can do stuff, some stuff within some fitness uh, environments. And you can, that's on my website. And if, if you put in the, uh, oh, I, I made a code, E3ROCKS is the code. If you put that in, you get a 40% uh, or 50% discount, so. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. We will definitely be sharing that with our community. It's on my website, uh, sensoryfitness.org. So that's, you know, that's where I want to take Sensory Fitness more and, and just get um, talking to people about trying what sensory is, how much it affects us and our behaviors, and then what else we can do to help improve our movements, which helps improve everything else, going back to that theme. So if anyone ever wants to shoot me a Facebook messenger, pretty much I'm on there all day talking to people. So. All right. Well, yeah, awesome. Yeah, this this has been fantastic. You're doing awesome work. Please keep it up. And yeah, we would love to have you back on the show sometime and uh, definitely find ways to work together. Well, Michael, thank you so much for having me. And it's great what you guys are doing. I love it. I love everything you're explaining to me. It's it's really cool. I'm going to dive deeper into what you're doing over there. It's, E3 sounds amazing.